On one hand, Pearl Harbor is a real-life event which many lives were tragically lost. But on the other hand, this is an over-the-top Michael Bay movie. So there's going to be a real tough line to tread on today's that song from that movie. Every choice you make counts. I'm not even going to ask, I guess. Every choice it. you break mounts. Every count you take is a choice. Make choices Ooh. you can count on. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your See You on the Beach Boys, host Dietrich. And, and today we're joined by the, gosh, he's so beautiful that it hurts, Alex. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Again, you, you, you sort of nail me every week, do you? You never leave me a to comment because you, Phrasing. Just get, you just get me. <laughs> Phrasing. No, it was intentional. <laughs> and we're also joined by Eyes Like an Eagle, ma'am, Ben. Yeah, I think I do have 2020 vision. Oh no, I've got 0.5 off the last time I went, so my flying career is behind me. Uh, I thought. Well, meant... it is a reference to poor eyesight, so I guess it does work in that sense. Yeah. And, and, and I thought as well by eagle, eagle-eyed, I thought you meant like your eyes are on the side of your head rather than... Right, no. Well, you've met me, Alex, so <laughs> not for a crazy long time. So what have you been watching this week? I've, I re-watched for the one millionth time The Dark Knight because my wife's parents had never seen it. And they preferred <laughs> Batman Begins, like most people. Good people. Batman Begins is so much better. I won't say it's so much better, but it's definitely better. It's, it's funny you break that up, actually, because I, I literally listened to a podcast like a couple of days ago dissecting The Dark Knight. <laughs> not positively. Well, it was kind of like it was kind of in a loving way. It was kind of there was a lot of problems with this film, but we still enjoy the film. Yeah. I think in in sections, there's a lot some really good parts that are better than Batman Begins. But Batman Begins is a better altogether film. Yeah. <laughs> what the part I'd really forgotten about, which they brought up in this podcast, was the whole sort of subplot that Batman is trying to get Harvey Dent to be the new Batman. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> Just so he can steal his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. That's the plot of the Dark Knight. Summed up. <laughs> There's not much of a plot otherwise. No, there isn't. Really. And what about you, Alex? What have you been watching? We've been watching a TV show called Bloodlands, which is on BBC. Anything related to the film Badlands? No. There we go. My <laughs> interest is way. Did that also have James Nesbitt in it? Uh, unlikely, no. Oh, I know what I know what TV show you're watching now. <laughs> yeah, it's quite good actually. It's only been two episodes, but it's uh, similar to maybe something like Line of Duty in tone. If you guys are Line of Duty fans. How could you not be? Because it's like the biggest TV show. <laughs> I've never country. watched it. Wow. God, guys. Alex, I watch Gogglebox. I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, you can. You can watch a lot of shows. That Is it anything like but, the Bodyguard? I watched that. No, both of these are better than that. But oh, but the Bodyguard was also bodyguard. Jed was Jed McCurry. Well, there you go then. You know what? Now that you mention it, I think my wife is watching that while I'm doing this. <laughs> what line of duty or Badlands? No, Badlands. I think she's watching something with her parents. So there we go. I've missed my shot. You missed your chance. You threw away your shot. I feel like with the Hamilton, he gets a lot of references. <laughs> Just like Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, okay. He needed a bigger part. <laughs> oh, there we go. I wondered who was going to reference that first. Turns out it was Ben, as always. <laughs> So today's episode is There You'll Be by Faith Hill from the presumably historically accurate docudrama Pearl Harbor. <laughs> so to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out, over to you, Alex. Yeah, so it was May 2001. Deputy Prime Minister John Prescott punches a protester <laughs> after an egg is thrown at him during a visit to Rill. 
you guys, I'm guessing, vaguely remember this event. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic punch. <laughs> Complete reaction punch. It's, it's, his arm is already completely horizontal before the eggs hit him. It's that perfect. It's almost like he sees it in his peripheral vision, isn't it? And he's just like, he's already swinging. It, it, and he proper lamps him in the jaw as well. Because you think when you hear someone like this, it's probably like a, from range, he probably doesn't catch him, but he proper catches him. But there's a, yeah. I think it was a couple of years ago, it was like the, well, I mean, I don't know what anniversary it was, I suppose, like. <laughs> 19 years. <laughs> well, it's 20 now, isn't it? There was a, an interview with Alistair Campbell, who was obviously in the Labour Party as well at the same time, and he uh, described the phone call he had with John Prescott afterwards. I'll read it out to you. John Prescott, hiya, I've just thumped a bloke. Alistair Campbell, what what sort of bloke? Just a bloke. Why did you hit him? He was a prat. <laughs> John, if we punched everyone we thought was a prat, I know, I know. Anyway, I'm not resigning. That was the transcript. <laughs> So Don't Stop Moving by S Club was number one in the charts, causing a large part of the population to die from exhaustion. <laughs> was it a Brit single of the year? <laughs> well, it probably was, yeah. Probably. Well, so it was number one for a couple of weeks. And then something else. Oh, yeah, It's Raining Men by Jerry Hallowell was the other song that was number one during the month of May. <laughs> what a time for music. Eh? <laughs> Isn't that from a film as well? Yeah, it's from Bridget uh, Jones' yeah. Diary, I think, yeah. So No Dreaming Possible by Lindsay. Finishes 15th of the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, I sent this to you guys to watch. Yes. <laughs> what were your opinions of it? Because I just thought it was amazing. Your your words were time capsule, weren't they? It's definitely what it is. <laughs> yeah. One to be revisited and investigated in future years. Oh, well, well, now. Now is future years, well, then. Now yeah, yeah. Years. Well, when we're listening back to this podcast, when we're old and frail, future Ben, give it a go. Get on YouTube Plus. <laughs> YouTube Plus. Sponsors. <laughs> my favorite part. My favorite part about it was that I think I think you mentioned it, Ben, as well. Was the was the MCs that come in midway, <laughs> yeah. sort of midway through? Two vanilla eyes. Yeah, one of them's got like a bandana, <laughs> but one of them has that sort of gelled spiked hair that everyone seemed to have in the early noise. Yeah, what happened to that? Yeah, no one yeah. has that hair anymore. <laughs> it died with a one. Both Shrek and Mulholland Drive premiered in the month of May, along with dun dun dun, the film Pearl Harbor. Oh. Yeah, which is what we're talking about today. <laughs> so it's directed by Michael Bay, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, the lethal combo that is those two. Very, very lethal. <laughs> very lethal. It was also written by Randall Wallace, and I felt like I had to mention him because he also needs to be named and shamed for what is the, <laughs> possibly one of the worst scripts ever in. So the film is a three-hour-long fictionalised, and I do stress that word, Dee, you've already drawn attention to that, account of the <laughs> Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor in December 1941. The event is framed through a romantic plot around a love triangle between Ben Affleck, Josh Hartnett, and Kate Beckinsale, who all should have known better. This is their least finest hour, or should I say three. <laughs> Personally, I don't think it's going too far to say this is the most misguided movie ever made. What do you guys think? Yeah, I can go with that. <laughs> I can definitely go with that. No, I don't know if it's a, it's not a personal pet peeve or it's just common facts that if you make a historical film, it needs to be historically accurate. You can't just say it in like, oh, this thing it happened and then let's just make up random stuff around it. It's not how it should be done. So yes, they have gotten into a lot of trouble, haven't they, over the years for certain things they did in this film. Yes. And not even just over the years, like at the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the filming, in the filming as well. D, any, anything to add? Yeah, it's cheesy. It's over the top. It's so American. And I sat down to watch a Michael Bay retelling of a real world tragedy. And that's exactly what I got. So I don't know why you're complaining. 
Did you? Did, did, yeah, actually, we should discuss this. When when did you guys watch this film? Do you recently watched it? Did you sit through all three hours so, so nobody else had to? <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched it for the first time last weekend. Oh wow! And uh, I feel like the the love triangle and the actual attack on Pearl Harbor, all that bit, is like a really good two hour film. And then there's like an extra forty five, fifty minutes afterwards. Why is it there? It's, it, there's no reason for it to be in this film. It's it's basically like someone went, "Oh crap, America is not on top at the end of this film." Uh, yeah, yeah. Like just 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 throw in something else, even though it's called Pearl Harbor. Let's just throw in another thing. And that's like one of the main weird things is that the Pearl Harbor bit is like yeah. I could say it's halfway through. I, I can't remember exactly when it is. It's, but it goes on for like an hour that bit. But yeah, it's in the middle somewhere, isn't it? It's not at the end where you would expect it to be. Yeah, very weird. Of the, is it the Doolittle raids? Yeah, yeah. That's what comes afterwards. For some unknown reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I rewatched it a few days ago. Well, I say rewatched it. I watched about two thirds. I mean, the way Josh Hartner and Ben Affleck stare at each other, I thought that was the part of the love triangle that was going to get it on. <laughs> ben, the brothers. They have best. The brothers. <laughs> they have uh, They have some long staring moments while the Michael Bay. I mean, if Michael Bay's ever sort of going to be known for things, obviously it's the explosion, but he also loves a spiraling camera shot. Like around people as oh, they yeah, turn yeah. around and look. Shit just got real it's a bit babe. like what they do in Avengers Assemble when they're kind of all grouping up and you know the camera goes around. But that is that is a Michael Bay. He loves it. Like in Bad Boys, I think it's about twelve. <laughs> he just loves spinning the camera around people. I think actually, like it, I saw somewhere like a bit of trivia that like his favorite shot from the film is like a spiraling camera angle around one of the one of the uh, the ships in Pearl Harbor. So so maybe yeah, <laughs> clearly does have a bit of a fetish for him. Man loves a spiral. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may be surprised here, although you may not be, that the film was a commercial success, achieving um, four hundred and forty nine point two million from a one hundred and forty million budget, which is quite astronomical, really. But the film was a critical failure. <laughs> <laughs> it received criticism for its story, long runtime, screenplay, dialogue, pacing, performances, and mainly his historical inaccuracies. But it did, however, receive praise for its sound effects, visual effects, and its 40-minute action sequence, yeah. which I think probably is the best bit. Oh, be yeah. It, it, yeah. It is fantastic, that bit. It's not It's not aged terribly as well. Like, at some parts, I couldn't really differentiate between what was CGI and what was actual effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's just, yeah, everything around that. I think a lot of it is actual effects, which is what's so incredible about it. And it was, I think they used um, the same set as Titanic. How many things use Titanic sets? Yeah, my God. No wonder James Cameron's rich. Didn't we do this last week? Yeah, Deep Blue Sea used it as well. Deep Blue Sea used it as well. Deep Blue Sea, yeah. (laughs) The film did actually win an Oscar. Do you you, you want to guess what it was for? I'm hoping Best Original Song. No, unfortunately not, which we will get on to, which is is an outrage in itself. Um, Visual effects, sound mixing. Sound editing. Sound editing, yeah. (laughs) Which made it the first film nominated for a Golden Raspberry Worst Picture to also win an Academy Award. I think that pretty much sums up the film, though. <laughs> it does, like it, it does have that sort of pit in between really good and really crap, and it just fills that void perfectly. <laughs> it's like a range. A film is a range. Um, yeah. But it's, it's the only film directed by Michael Bay ever to be given an Oscar. Well, that's fine. We're fine with that. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not more shocked by that. What about Bad Boys? Well, yeah, to be fair, like I said, I like Bad Boys. And The Rock is a very good film. Like, not even arguable, The Rock is a good film. Uh, and then everything else, you know, yes, it's murky waters and kind of explosion porn. Well, I've got I've got a few facts, if we want to hear about oh, yeah, film. please. Yeah, yes, yeah, please. We know yes. a good fact. So the raid sequence was actually toned down to meet a PG-13 rating. 
Michael Bay, when he originally signed on to do the film, wanted to do an R-rated film. And I think there's actually a director's cut, which has a few additional minutes where it's more um, R-rated. I think there's a lot more gore. <laughs> Are you telling me I wasted three hours of my life when I could have watched a three hours and two minutes version, which was far superior? <laughs> well, I don't know which version you watched, Steve. You might have watched the director's cut and not known. Was there a lot of blood in it? Uh, I, I don't recall seeing any. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, if, if it was his true version, you would have known. I think I think some of the actually replaced some of the scenes as well. So I think it's like it's it's slightly longer in runtime. I think it's one minute longer in runtime, but I think some of the scenes have been switched. But anyway, so Disney, who produced the film, uh, so Michael Bay agreed with them that actually they in the end that they should make it a PG thirteen film, so because kids needed to see it. <laughs> he was wrong, of course, because I don't think anyone really needed to see this film. <laughs> Where else are they going to learn about Pearl Harbor if it's not in a Michael Bay film? <laughs> Why do you think the best part of the movie, the reenactment, is 45 minutes so you could watch it in a classroom and not have to watch anything well, else? Oh, yeah. it's a charge, Lily. But, I mean, there are a lot of historical inaccuracies in, in yeah, that scene. Yeah. I'm not actually going to go too much into the historical inaccuracies because there are so many yes. that there's like a full section dedicated to it on many uh, a website. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too technical almost. Like, it's the designs of the planes, the designs... You know, down to the clothes. Oh, this is shit about that. Well, I do understand that. <laughs> the, the biggest one was the shooting at the hospital, wasn't it? That I think that was got a lot of people's backs up because in the attack, they it, the Japanese specifically go for like a hospital, whereas that never happened. That was the, the sort of they were told to yeah. just attack their army. And, and Michael Bay said he wanted to make it more brutal. <laughs> it's like they they killed like two thousand people, <laughs> and he wanted to make it more brutal. He, he was quoted of saying something along the lines of, "I wanted the audience to know who were the bad guys," <laughs> which I think is a really horrible thing to say about a war. A moment. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Because <laughs> it's just that's just dumbing it down so much. So another fact: Disney chose to premiere the film inside Pearl Harbor itself aboard the active nuclear aircraft carrier USS John C. Stennis, which made a six-day trip from San Diego to serve as the world's largest and most expensive outdoor theater. The party cost Disney five million dollars. Oh, it's so American, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so, it's so yeah. I'm getting advice, is it, you know, that Cher song where she's like, on the cannons? <laughs> yeah, 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 what, turn back time. <laughs> that's that's definitely the vibe I'm getting from it. Oh, God. It was the first film that Michael Fassbender ever auditioned for, but he obviously didn't get the, Big didn't get the role, which might be a lucky break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is my favourite fact. The amount spent on the film roughly equals the cost of the damage in the actual attack. Oh, that is a very good nice. fact. That is a very good nice. fact. Nice. If that's not a good fact, I don't know what is. Obviously, this film did very well, as in commercially, you know, stress commercially. Is there still (laughs) a need for this? Like, that film Midway came out, didn't it, about the Battle of Midway? Yes. Like, two years ago. Is this, are these kind of films still wanted? Like, do people just see them now as these sort of phony, sort of explodey, ow my ears kind of films? Or are we bored of them now? Do we expect more? I think we'd probably expect more. I'm, I was surprised to see that that, that that midway film existed, but I think actually that's also not been received well critically. Um, that was that also a Jerry Bruckheimer film? <laughs> or, oh, is it a Roland Emmerich? That. It's probably Roland Emmerich. It's Roland Emmerich. Never <laughs> yeah, go. Just see. But yeah, it does seem like this kind of like ultra macho American type film has kind of not died, but certainly changed tactics, and that's where you get things more like. The Fast and the Furious, rather than something like this. <laughs> that is not a strange a comparison to draw. Yeah. yeah, but I think I think they, they realise with a film like this that you can get burned by trying to set it in a historical context. Yes. Because I, I think that's possibly something worth discussing, because 
it's obviously the main criticism that comes up about the film. But I think a lot of people have said that it was trying to emulate Titanic, which of course you would be trying to do if you were making this type of film because it was so successful and so critically well received. I think the problem comes in that Titanic representing a historical event that is just out of living memory, really, mm-hmm. for people who could have possibly been on it. Whereas Pearl Harbor, this was the 60th anniversary. So people who were there is very much still alive when this film was released. So it really hits a sort of sour note if it's wrong because so many people who were there and lived through such a horrific event yeah. can yeah. specifically comment on on why the film has got it wrong, why they couldn't do that with Titanic. Because there's, there's been loads of historical inaccuracies in Titanic. Oh, yeah, probably, there. yeah. I mean, the two main characters are, are all fictionalised yeah. as well. So it's it, it's the same principle, but it's just that they got the event so wrong in terms of the historical accuracy. You can see why people would be annoyed about it. Yes. So I think it maybe that's probably its fundamental problem. And it's just war. Like, you know, the Titanic is, is about just sort of a tragedy that is just a boat sinking, not two countries that have changed, you know, hopefully change a lot, 60 years on, picturing them in a certain way. You know, you've got to kind of do it very sensitively. Yeah, and the Titanic is a tra- it's tragic. It's yes. tragic, isn't it? It's something that was unforeseen. Yeah. Whereas this is something that's been inflicted upon something that yeah. is different. It's like a, um, a lot of World War Two European films. It's it's you know kind of like the West versus the Nazis. It's not against Germany. It's always it's the Nazis. It's separate, you know, because Germany aren't the Nazis. It's that it helps to be separate. Whereas the Japanese, you know, calling Imperial Japan still the same thing. <laughs> one of the main things that the Japanese journalists really took issue with in this film was that the Japanese army was shown having meetings outside, which is considered uncivilized, oh, yeah. even barbaric in Japan. Anything to keep Michael Bay down. I'm happy with that. Well, something that might have put Michael Bay up is at the time, the film entered the Guinness World Records for most explosions used. Nice. Later broken by Michael Bay, probably. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of an internet myth about this. It's similar to the vein of... Do you remember the in Apocalypto, the Mel Gibson film, where yeah, there's yeah. that scene where um, there's a Where's Wally, like, for one frame? In all those, like in like those corpses in that ditch, do you know what I mean? Uh, well, I didn't know that, but yeah, yeah, great. In this, there's a bit of a myth that John McClane or Bruce Willis's John McClane appears in a scene, and and I think you should YouTube it after because it really does look like it. But the the people who made the film said it wasn't. They said it was just an extra, and it's just like a huge coincidence. But it, it's uncanny. It's so uncanny. You have to I'll watch definitely it. It's have unbelievable. But my my other main takeaway from this film is where is Josh Hartnett? <laughs> what you mean in real life? Now, yeah, in real life. Yeah, you, this is a question He's I in have Surrey. as well. He lives in Surrey. <laughs> Lucky number eleven, great film. Well, Lucky number eleven was slightly late, and I think it was like two thousand and six. But we'll come on to that actually because that's part of my research. <laughs> so, like between sort of the years nineteen ninety eight and two thousand and one, I feel like he was in a lot of films, and he was like voted in the top twenty one sexiest men under twenty one. He was then voted in a couple of like a year later was voted in the top twenty five sexiest males under twenty. He was also voted the sexiest vegetarian alive. Sexiest vegetarian. <laughs> he starred in films like Black Hawk Down, obviously Pearl Harbor, and my personal favourite, Blow Dries, alongside Alan Rickman about the National Hairdressing Championships in Keithley, West Yorkshire. That's had too many mentions on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but then he was seldom heard from again. And like Ben Yusuf, he was in Lucky Number 11. Which is around 2006. 11. 11. Walking on the 11. He was in that about 2006. So this is actually interesting. So he turned down being in Superman. He turned down being in Spider-Man. And most importantly, he would eventually turn down being in The Prestige. 
And basically, the internet gossip, so don't quote me on this, internet gossip suggests that he crossed Christopher Nolan by not being in The Prestige, and then ultimately Batman, which he'd also pinpointed him for. And ever since then, Hollywood has blacklisted him. I do remember that um, Josh Hartnett rumour. I, I could have sworn he was supposed to be playing the Riddler at one point in the Christopher Nolan universe. Yeah, well, that might, that might have been it. Can we think of a clever way, equivalent to the McConaughey's, of, of pinning the Josh Hartnett comeback? Um, come on, D, get your thinking cap. Josh Hartback. That's terrible. Oh, come on, D. Come on, D. <laughs> um, Rehartness. <laughs> Like a restart. <laughs> if you have to, do, if you have to explain it, it doesn't work. Maybe, maybe the reconnaissance is just too good. As I always do, I chatted about this movie with my wife, and she described it in a way that I thought would make for a fun question for you guys. <laughs> and it sort of links back to what you said before the break. She described the movie as a sexual awakening for her. <laughs> Did she elaborate? Well, she, I didn't question it because she was a tween when this came out, and Josh Hartner was, as we mentioned, this sort of... Uh, Sexist vegetarian tweet. Yeah, and she, she was big into vegetarians. <laughs> so I wondered if you guys remember what your sexual awakening movie was. The movie where you went, oh, I, I like, in, in our case, girls. Because <laughs> I know what mine was. Mine was the Scooby-Doo live-action remake where I suddenly went, oh, I like girls. Linda Cardinelli, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and I, Isla Fisher. They do it for you. <laughs> That was the movie. God, so I wonder if you guys knew. Because I know, I know quite a lot of people quote Sin City as their film. Oh, I see. Oh, really? Jessica Alba. Don't think I saw Sin City for a long time. I don't... I can't think. All I'll say is I understand. <laughs> it's probably it's probably just films that like I was too young to actually watch. So the excitement of kind of finding somewhere to watch them. Which was probably going to Friends with Older Brother's House. Yeah. So yeah, it was, I can't think of like a, a, like a, a childhood sort of film that was like... Here we go. <laughs> I love, I love that yours is the Scooby Doo live action film, though, D, because it's like so innocent that like you're watching this children's film. <laughs> Have you watched it back? It is not innocent. They're like essentially know. wearing like practically nothing throughout I, the entire film. I can safely say I have not gone and watched it back. It's a James Gunn classic. I actually did. I liked it at the time, and I, I feel like I've caught bits of it since, and also enjoy it still. I feel like I could definitely watch that film. Is there a good song from it so so I can watch it again? <laughs> Shaggy does a lot of songs for it, so we'll get to do it in a future oh, good, episode. Good, good, good. It's a good question. They put it to Twitter. Do you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this week's ultimate question is: What is your sexual awakening movie? <laughs> so, was she talking about Josh Hartnett? Or was she talking about Ben Affleck? Josh Hartnett. Oh, okay. And specifically the the scene in like things hanging down, where him and Kate Beckinsale are romanticizing with each other. Yeah. The drapery. When the camera's spiraling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. There's some fantastic like cuts and uh, screen wipes in that scene they're <laughs> so seamless you don't even realise <laughs> screen wipes <laughs> I don't know you've clearly noticed them so they're not seamless I think the whole point of a seamless wipe is that you didn't notice it that's a fair point uh, <laughs> <laughs> well I did I pulled out a few quotes from the film which I enjoyed well actually oh, a few moments I've got two quotes written down that I thought were fantastic it's one of them I think World War 2 just started yep <laughs> <laughs> Is outstanding. This was another one that kept cropping up online, actually. There's nothing stronger than the heart of a volunteer. I think that that's like the worst and corniest line for a film like this, <laughs> where so many people are dying in a bomb raid. <laughs> oh. But there's also a great moment where John Voight stands up as FDR, and it really <laughs> yeah. reminded me of that uh, Christy the Clown <laughs> sketch. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> 
they take that line, which I imagine got a lot of Americans uh, excited in the nether regions, or the one that they took from the Japanese film Tora Tora Tora, which is like, I think we've awoken like a sleeping giant or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, you, you bet you have. Yeah, you know, you're shouting it. Yeah. We've spoken a lot about the film, and there's a lot to talk about. But let's talk about the song, because where the film is arguably is maybe too fair of a word, definitely lacking in a lot of areas, the song is just pure gold. I'm going to put it out there right now. So, written by the icon, the legend, the pinup of this podcast. Hands up. Diane Warren. Give me that, Jamie Lee. Diane Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Best jingle I'll ever have. Gets better every time. And performed by Faith Hill. The lead song for Pearl Harbor is There You'll Be. I've just told you what I think of it. You're not allowed to disagree with me, but give me your opinion. We all love Diane Warren, right? Yes. But I'm sorry, Diane. No, they don't. This song is incredibly forgettable. Oh, oh. I don't agree with oh. that at all. Oh. That Honestly, scandalous. I've listened to this song Dagger. so many times this week Dagger. and I keep struggling to remember oh. how it goes. Oh. That is absolutely scandalous. I, can't, I don't think we've ever had a bigger disagreement on this podcast. I love you, Diane. I love you. No, you clearly don't. You've sat there, Dee, for the last half an hour actually giving positive opinions about the film Pearl Harbor. Let's just leave that where it is. But to, yeah. to come out here, or to stay in your room more literally, <laughs> and give that opinion about what is truly an amazing song just saddens me. It, it saddens me. How, how can you not get ready when that bridge comes in? Percussions. Oh. Strings. It, it never reaches. Oh, oh it did. The performance is exactly what Will I Am every week goes. It's not, it's not quite there. It's not quite there on the voice. Oh, like, if you think of My Heart Will Go On with Titanic, it's the same step down in terms of the song to the movie. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, actually, because Celine Dion was originally offered this song. Yeah, I can see why she turned it down. <laughs> well, she turned it down because she didn't want to do another romantic ballad for a soundtrack. Not because the song wasn't an absolute banger, because it's so I would actually personally. No, maybe, maybe I'd put it about the same level. I was going to go, I was maybe going to go a bit farther. I don't, I, I really don't understand what you're hearing with this song, D, because I've, I've put... That Nothing, it, that's the point. I've put, D, that it literally flies and soars. I've taken inspiration from a... Because it's a pilot. And I've taken inspiration from a lot of the critical reception of the song, where they also use those kind of puns. Go on. Sky high vocals. This is my favourite. She's a soaring diva. I don't know what that means, but I like it. The chorus that flies above the clouds. Oh, God. I can't believe that. You're going to die on that hill. As actually put, it's everything that the film isn't, which is essentially just good. <laughs> oh, God. So, lyrically, about keep it, the song is about keeping those we have lost with us rather than desecrating their memory like the film does in all ways. Yeah, As I've said, the film was off to Celine Dion, but she didn't want it. Already a big deal in the US. And this is the, the entire UK population disagrees with you because this song made Faith Hill an international lane landing her by far her highest chart position in the UK, number three. Didn't get to number one, but he did get to number three. <laughs> but don't, and... We've already established Don't Stop Moving without this one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. you can't compete. If that was at the end of this film, I would be saying it's a great song. Also, if this, that was the end of this film, there was something very wrong in the marketing department. Indeed, the people of Portugal and Sweden heavily disagree with you because it got to number one in, in both those Wouldn't be the first time. He's <laughs> always going up against the people of Portugal and Sweden. My opinion of Portugal has been not, has been long recorded on this podcast. <laughs> but the less said about that, the better. Don't get don't get him started on Euro two thousand four. <laughs> so the song received a Grammy nomination. Uh, actually, no, Faith Hill did. Sorry for the song for best female pop vocal performance. I'll leave that there. 
It also did receive an Oscar nomination, so as I as alluded to, but it did not win. In fact, it was Diane Warren's sixth nomination out of a total 11 up to date, but she has never won, which is an absolute outrage. I think we've actually mentioned that previously, but that's just disgusting. It's a stat we're going to have to mention every single time we do a Diane Warren episode, and it never gets less insulting to the legacy of Diane Warren. <laughs> Definitely. This could be her year, though. Is she nomin- oh, she potentially nominated. The nominations aren't out yet for the Oscars, but, you know, she's done that song. She's done the song from some film. Bora. Not Bora. <laughs> she's she's clutching at straws now. Well, do you guys want to know what song did win? Yes, please. So it lost to If I Didn't Have You from Monsters, Inc. Do you guys remember that song? Because I surely do. Would you say that it's instantly forgettable? I'd say it's definitely more forgettable than Faith Hill. Because I have remembered it all this time. That's essentially the only reason we're doing this episode. It's because I love yeah. this song so much. <laughs> the film... The Life Ahead. Music by Diane Warren. It was nominated for a Golden Globe. I don't even know if it won, because I didn't watch the Golden Globes. But this could be her year, because there's been no other films out, maybe. (laughs) Come on, Diane, we've got got everything crossed for Diane. But yes, uh, the song, If I Didn't Have You From Monster Inc., was actually Randy Newman's first Oscar. It's like the song is actually sung by John Goodman and Billy Crystal. <laughs> but that thing back where it came from, oh, so help me. Is it that one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I did listen to it. It was relatively catchy, but it's no, there you'll be. But anyway, moving on. The video for this song was also directed by Michael Bay, if you can believe it. Was it? Yeah, it actually was. Because I know a lot. there's a lot of scenes from the film, but the other bits yeah. with Faith Hill were also directed by Michael Bay, which is weird because they, they do look... A, they definitely does look like a, a downgrade from the actual film shots when, when you see... Yeah, I've only got three words for my notes for this music video, oh, and it's please. cheap-ass video. Yeah. This could be just the film for me. I'd put that exact same thing. This could be the film. In fact, it probably is better than the film, the video. But I mean, it does look cheaper, but it's still better than the film. Much more of a clear narrative. <laughs> I put it's very Berlin, actually. Take My Breath Away, which is probably another nod oh, it is. to Top Gun. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I feel like the whole macho relationship between Josh Arnett and Ben Affleck is very much based around Top Gun, isn't it, clearly? I think it was definitely a strong inspiration. But yeah, I put When Machine is Out in Full Force. There's an old-timey car with a flowing American flag behind it, which is, is, is an outstanding shot. But back to your point earlier on, D, drapery, exclamation yes. point. There is a lot of drapery in this video. And in fact, it actually forms into a dress, which I thought was outstanding. D, clearly not. But the only thing that I didn't like about the video was that the setting of it was confusing. Sometimes she was in present day, sometimes she was clearly in the 1940s. It didn't quite make sense, and yet the narrative was still clearer. There's a bit where she's like, she's singing in front of the Shire from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Wind machines are a a fairly commonplace in ballads, music videos. Michael Bay's Michael Bay the wind machine, it looks like she's almost blowing off the hill. (laughs) I think she's probably standing in front of a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah, they could have just done that, yeah. Yeah. I think there is a spiral shot in this as well, Ben, I think. I think there's an up to top-down spiral shot. I don't even ever continue talking about the song because I'm just, I can't believe that the D's commentary on it. <laughs> sickens me. We need to do a top five, Ben. Please. <laughs> top five. So as we said, this film is not the most historically accurate. But what are the five most historically inaccurate movies, according to random websites I find on the internet? Oh, well, I'm guessing Gundy. it has to be about something that happened. Yes, so yeah. <laughs> it's completely fictionalised. <laughs> Avatar, no. Um, I, I mean, another Randall Wallace film, Braveheart. Number four. Good. It was always <laughs> going to be. In fact, I'm pretty sure when I looked, when I did this as a top ten, there was another Mel Gibson film. Was that Apocalypse? 
No. Was, uh, oh, in fact, there's three Mel Gibson films. Passion of the Christ. It's not Passion of the Christ. The Patriot. Is Titanic in the list? Or is that deemed historically accurate? No, it's not. One of these I really don't think you're going to get. It's a film that Dietrich has spoken about on the podcast quite liking. Oh, I don't know. What, what? I'll give you a clue. I don't know. What do you always forget to do? Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, number two in the list. Number three, the one that I was referencing that Dee has spoken about on this podcast before, also has Ben Affleck in it. Armageddon? <laughs> the... Oh, Argo. Batman? Argo. 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 Oh, Argo, yes. yeah. Argo. That is a good film. Also historically inaccurate. But best picture one, which Pearl Harbor very much was not. <laughs> two more. I don't think you're going to get number five. Are any of them like bi- biographic? You know, like about a person, or are they all about an event? Number five is. Is it Gandhi? <laughs> no, the Gandhi's not on here. Um, Nelson Mandela, what freedom, or what else no. called? Female name. Amelie. Jackie? <laughs> no, Sophia Coppola directed it. It's quite a recent one. Marie Antoinette. Oh, okay. Is that Kirsten Dunst in that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, number one in this list is an animated film. <laughs> well, is that the main, that's the main problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Oliver and Company again? (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh, is it Dinosaur? No, it's not Dinosaur. Although 10,000 BC came up on a lot of lists. 1995. Pocahontas. Pocahontas, yes. Of course, Steve. Pocahontas has so many problems. Well, it's funny that Ben mentioned Avatar to begin with, because it is essentially the same film as that. Yeah. Other honourable mentions include Shakespeare in Love. Because he was never in love. Uh, JFK. (laughs) I was going to say JFK, but I didn't know whether that was accurate. And 300. Wait, okay. <laughs> I mean, that was never meant to be historically accurate. <laughs> was that? Based on the comic? No, I mean, no. it's a historically accurate representation of the comic book it was based on. <laughs> it's a fictionalised retelling of the Battle of Thermopylae. Honourable mention for Cuba Gooding Jr.? Oh, yeah, we, well, we probably should, shouldn't we? So was Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character a real person? Yes. It was based on a real person. Yeah. In the midst of everyone else being a fake character. There was a few There was a few real people in, in the film. I think he's the first person to get, what's the equivalent of the Victoria Cross in America? Medal of Honor, is it? I don't Medal know. of Honor, yeah. He was the first African-American to get the Medal of Honor. The Alec Baldwin character is a real person as well. And the two little raids were a genuine thing. So is the John Voight character? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Gangly president man. So now it's time to determine the ultimate question of movie or song. So it's There You'll Be versus Pearl Harbor. Uh, I think I know where everyone's going with this, but we'll see. Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going. I'm 150,000% going for the song. And it, it, I, it's, I, st- I can't get over what you said about it, D. I, I don't think I'll ever forgive you for what you said. The film is not good. And, and no one will ever convince me of it. And it's three hours of not good. That's not true. Well. It is. When you, when you when it comes down to it, it is. Whereas the song is about three and a half minutes of pure bliss. So I'm going for the song. Ben? Yeah, I'm dying on this hill. Which is? Faith Hill. <laughs> <laughs> have faith, D. In the hill. I'm going to need a different ending now, Alex, because you just said you got to have faith. So I'm going to oh, have to think of a different ending. <laughs> sign off. Thanks a lot. You see, I thought you said as well, Ben, I'm Diane on this hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, wow, damn it, even better. I could have put two in one. <laughs> Go on, Pete. Gives you a horrible, horrific opinion. Yeah, so uh, obviously it's too late now. You've both picked song. You've ruined my night completely. You can have the money. 
But I hope you spend it on getting some lessons in grace and decorum because you have all the grace for reversing dump truck without any tyres on. <laughs> a reference there for our American listeners. <laughs> yeah. I think you should give them a citation for that, too, so they can go find what is possible in the grace moments in British pop culture. Yeah, so search, come dine with me, quote, Jane. Okay, so that brings an end to another episode of that song from that movie. Let us know which one you think is better on our Twitter account, TSFTMPod. You can help the podcast in many ways, and you can do that on Reddit by sharing this on a random subreddit. Alex, what should that random subreddit be this week? There's nothing random about it, D. It's the Diane Warren subreddit. We need 100%. to pepper that oh, subreddit yeah. and get her, her Oscar nomination and win this year. It needs to happen. So you can help us on Patreon and by buying our merch, but the best way you can help us is by giving us a five-star review, just like Ben has done, right? No, because I think that'd be unfair to do it on our own podcast. That's not fair. Not fair on who? Not fair on who? Me? As the guy trying to push this podcast? Yes. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> so what's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Why does Michael Bay get to keep on making movies? <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. I miss you more than that movie missed the point. And that's an awful lot, girl. <laughs> so goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 Similar to that thing you said earlier, Alex, isn't it a common theory that there's actually a scene in which there's a, an aeroplane going over the scene, one of the scenes? If you just Google Troy aeroplane, there's so many images that I'm pretty sure are faked. There you go. Brad Pitt staring Boeing in the back. <laughs>